Greetings and welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It's the number one ranked company in Google for New Jersey SEO company and internet marketing. Also, they will help you. If you have a current website, they'll help you enhance your website. They'll consult with you of how to get the most traffic in the engine, um, search engines. So contact TJB Web Media. Dave Butler and his sons run that organization. And today's podcast is a continuation of John's preparation to read the epistle of Peter by studying the life of Peter. So without further delay, here's John. Okay, church. We're going to do a little study and a little communion, and then we're going to turn you loose again. See, every time I turn you guys loose, I can't ever get you back together again. You people are acting like you love one another or something. Huh? What's up with that? A critical event. I know Mike came up to me a minute ago and he said, Good morning. And he looked at his watch and he said, Oh, no, good afternoon. <laughs> it's amazing how quick we run out of time on Sunday mornings, isn't it? So I promise not to give you an hour long diatribe here. Because we do want to observe communion. But I do want to prepare you for what lies ahead. And what I mean by that is what, what's coming in our study. Several weeks ago, the Lord put on my heart to study the letters, the general letters that the Apostle Peter wrote. You'll find them in the New Testament under First and Second Peter. In order to understand those letters and get more out of those letters, I thought it was wise to do a little biography of Peter. And so that's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at Peter's life. Now in the Gospel accounts, of course, Peter is recognized as a leader among the apostles. He would talk when nobody else would say a word. That's why I usually refer to him as Brother Mouth. That's my neighbor. It's not an air rating. Anyhow, Peter showed himself throughout the history of the Gospel accounts as he followed Jesus for three and a half years. He showed himself to be a natural-born leader, a leader of men. And Jesus did a lot of work with Peter, tweaking him. And we mentioned a few of those, hit the highlights so far in our study. The last was how 
Jesus actually gave Peter a chance to redeem himself concerning his three denials of Jesus during his arrest and trial. You remember that Jesus had warned Peter, trying to scrape off a little bit of that pride that he had. How many of you know that leaders are apt to get bound up with pride? Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Big time. And Peter, being a natural-born leader, also got caught up with pride, as did the other disciples. And one of their biggest questions at the end of the public ministry of Jesus prior to his crucifixion was, which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom? I can hear Peter now saying, boys, it's got to be me. You remember when we went to Caesarea Philippi, how Jesus told me, he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I've got to be the greatest. But then I can hear John and James pipe up and say, Oh, no, 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 Peter. You can't be the greatest. Because right after he said that, remember what he said to you? He said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Ain't no way you're the greatest. We're the greatest because we sent our mom to ask that one of us brothers could sit on your right hand and the other on your left hand when we come into the kingdom. I'm sure we're going to be the greatest. And that argument went on and on and on. Now Jesus, of course, spent a great deal of time in the upper room the last night before he was crucified trying to break that pride in these men. And as part of that, he told Peter. He said, listen, you're not going to follow me. You all are going to be scattered. You're not going to follow me. You're not going to go with me to prison or go with me to death. And as a matter of fact, this very night, you're going to deny me three times. Of course, Peter fought that as all as did all of them. No, 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 we're not going to do that. And when Jesus was arrested, Peter gave it his best shot. And he took out a sword. Now, Peter wasn't a warrior trained. He was a fisherman. But he had a sword. And when he swung that sword going after the high priest's servant, I think he fully intended to take his head off. He was going to kill that sucker. And start a war. But the servant ducked. Ducked his head. And Peter only got his ear. And Jesus healed it right afterwards. Told him, put up your sword. Later that night, Peter did indeed deny that he knew Jesus three times. Even though he followed afar off, which was more than most of the disciples, he wound up denying his Lord three times. Well, after the resurrection, Jesus spent about 40 days appearing at different times to his disciples in different places. And one of those times, John records for us, the disciples have been out all night fishing, trying to make a little extra money. They hadn't caught anything. And when they came to the shore, 
They saw someone standing on the shore, got close, and they recognized it was Jesus. He had a fire. He was cooking breakfast for it. When Peter saw that it was Jesus, he jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore, excited to see his master. And it was there that Jesus asked him three times, Do you love me more than these? Meaning the fish he just caught. He'd just done a miracle and filled their nets with all kinds of fish. Buku bucks. Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your money? Feed my lambs. A little while later, he asked Peter the same thing. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Meaning, the other disciples. Are you the head of the kingdom? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And a third time he asked him, why did Jesus ask him three times? To give him three chances to affirm his love for Jesus. To, in essence, redeem himself from his denial. Preparing Peter for the work he had to do. Now, he did give Peter a prophecy there. He said, you know, when you're young, you dress yourself and you go wherever you want to. But when you get old, people are going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And this he spoke of his death, by which you should glorify Jesus. Now, the end of the Gospels show us a training a shaping, a molding of this guy, Peter. Preparing him for what God intended to do with him. Beginning in Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we read about Peter again. As a matter of fact, there are two figures that stand out as the main characters of the book of Acts. The first is Peter. The second is Paul, the apostle. But concerning Peter, I want to just review real quickly a couple, a couple of references here for you just to give you an idea of how important Peter was at the beginning of the church in that very first century. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15 and forward, Peter takes the lead with 120 disciples still gathered in the upper room to elect Matthias to take the place of Judas Iscariot. Peter, Peter took the initiative there. Then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, in which God gave a tremendous audio-visual display of his promise to send the Spirit upon these 120 believers in the upper room, they heard this, this sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole place they were, they were gathered in. 
And there appeared to them, they all saw flames of fire that rested on each one of the disciples, representing the power of the Spirit. Now, this wasn't the first time that they received the Spirit. In fact, the night after Jesus rose on that Sunday morning, that Sunday evening, He met with the eleven. Well, actually, there were only ten of them there because Thomas was absent. But He told them. He breathed on them and said, Receive you the Spirit. He gave them that indwelling of the Spirit so that they could understand the Scriptures, so that they could know his leadership and he commissioned them he said just like the father has sent me into this world so send i you into this world so he gave them a commission now on the day of pentecost that promise of the father the spirit was fulfilled but it was peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to all of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it's estimated there were over 40 different dialects spoken in that multitude. And as Peter stood up and preached, each one of the people there heard what he had to say in their own native language. That was the miracle of the gift of tongues. You see, the gift of tongues is for the purpose of reaching those who are lost. And the gift of tongues was not so much a a miracle in speaking, but a miracle in hearing. I had one experience with that years ago. I was studying the book of Hebrews. And a lady brought in her gardener, who was an illegal immigrant, I'm sure. Couldn't speak English at all. And they sat right down in front of me. And I remember feeling sorry for this young man because I was studying Hebrews, which is very technical even if you know the language. And I was feeling sorry, thinking, man, this guy ain't going to get nothing out of this. After the service, this lady brought her gardener up to me and tears running down her cheeks, and he was crying. She said, he received the Lord. I said, he did. Would you take him out of church and speak to him and give him the gospel? She said, no. He heard every word you spoke in high Spanish, Castilian Spanish. Now, I don't know Spanish, much less high Spanish. But you see, God did a miracle in His hearing. And God gave him what he needed. That's what Peter was doing on the day of Pentecost. He was speaking the truth concerning Jesus, the kingdom of God, and His resurrection in His own language. He was a Galilean. But every man there heard in his own native language. 
Then you have a reference in Acts chapter 3 and also Acts chapter 4 where Peter healed the lame man on steps of the temple, going into the temple. He said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you. Rise up and walk. And the man did. And that created a, a scene in the temple area. And people came together because they knew this guy. And Peter again preached the sermon. But while he was preaching this time, he was arrested. He and John both were arrested, thrown into jail by the chief priests and elders of Israel. When they brought him out and said, we don't want you teaching or preaching in the name of Jesus anymore, he said, and John likewise said, listen, we ought to obey God rather than man. We can't help but tell people the things we've seen and heard. We are witnesses of that. And then there was no small battle going on between the leaders of the people and Peter and John. They were trying to squash this message as much as they could. Next chapter 5 is authority, the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever you shall bind in heaven or bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall already have been loosed in heaven and continue to be loosed. He illustrated that in Acts chapter 5 in a very dramatic way when the whole church in Jerusalem, and there by that time there was close to 11,000 believers, and the whole group were sharing in love with one another, supplying each other's needs. Barnabas sold property that he owned and got the money and brought it to the apostles and said, give it to whoever needs it. And there was a man and his wife named Ananias and Sapphira that decided they'd put on the religious dog. They also had property and they sold it. And they brought the money, except for what they held back, and gave it to the apostles just like Barnabas and lied about how much money they got for that, trying to hoard some for themselves. Peter confronted them. Both of them, one at a time, dropped dead. And there was a tremendous power in that church. Now, Peter was the focus. He was the leader of that original group of believers. He was responsible before God for their well-being. And he took it seriously. And then we read also in Acts chapter 5, that he was arrested again. Peter's getting quite a record here. He was arrested again for preaching. And this time they locked him in prison, put guards around him, but an angel set him free. Miraculously. And when he went back and knocked on the door where all the disciples were gathered praying for him, a little girl named Rhoda came out 
saw him and ran back in real quick and said, Peter's outside. And they all thought she was crazy. But when they opened the door, there was Peter continuing to do his work. And the ministry went on. In Acts chapter 8, Peter had taken a little journey around the immediate area of Jerusalem in Judea. And there he encountered a man named Simon, who was a magician. And when he saw Peter pray and the other apostles pray for the people who believed and they received the gift of the Spirit, he said, man, that'd be a good gift to have. And he offered Peter money for that gift. Peter said, now, money's going to perish with you. You can't buy God. Chapter 9 It's recorded that Peter healed not only a lame person, but he raised a dead woman, Tabitha. Raised her up, just like Jesus had done. So Peter is well into his ministry now. He's taken the good with the bad. He's faced opposition. He's led his people. He's presented an example for them to follow. So much so that people would bring, out of all towns around, they'd bring their sick sick and their demon-possessed, and they'd lay them down so that Peter, just passing by them, so that his shadow would touch them, and they were healed. Now, someone with that authority, someone with that reputation, Someone with that kind of respect as a leader, you might expect to get the big head. In fact, many do. But not so with Peter. He never forgot the training he had with Jesus. So you now find a more humble servant of Jesus than Peter. Now, In Acts chapter 10, we have a story of a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius who was earnestly seeking the gospel, the way of salvation, God doing for him what he couldn't do. And he prayed. And he had a, in that dream, he said, go find Peter. Well, at the same time, Peter was in Joppa on the housetop and he had a vision. And that vision was, he was hungry, and that vision was a a sheet, a big sheet coming down with all kinds of animals on it, unclean animals that were, were prohibited from eating as a Jew. But the Lord said, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Peter said, no, 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 Lord, I'm not going to do that. Mm -mm. I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to... Finally, the Lord told him, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And so the Lord was preparing him for one of the greatest moments in his ministry. And that was when he went to the house of Cornelius. And he saw personally God work with the outsiders, the Gentiles, just like he had worked 
with the Jews. And he saw miraculous work of the Holy Spirit among them. And so Peter went back and he testified to his Jewish brethren and said, listen, this thing's bigger than us. It's not just we few, we little chosen Jews that are receiving this blessing. It's for everyone who believes. Now that was tested, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time today on it. Perhaps we'll come back and look at it. But it was tested later as the Gentiles, the non-Jews, began receiving the Lord and being baptized in the Spirit. The Jews got a little concerned about that because these guys didn't know anything about the law of Moses. They didn't know anything about the special rite of circumcision that the Jews valued as separating them from all other nations. And so there was a group of men, Jewish men, these were believers now, that had strong Jewish roots who said, no, 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 wait a minute. You need to tell these guys that unless they're circumcised and keep the law of Moses, they can't be saved. Well, Peter gave testimony in Jerusalem concerning that. They had a big meeting in Jerusalem, a conference, if you will. Paul and Barnabas, who had already been ministering to Gentiles, came. Peter was there. He gave testimony concerning the house of Cornelius and said, look, God didn't make any difference between us and them. They got the same treatment from God we did. And then James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, that gathered all those saints in Jerusalem, he was the one that was appointed. Note that it was not Peter. Don't you find that a little odd? I mean, with all that Peter had been doing and how he'd been leading, there's this guy, James. Who is that James? He's the half-brother of Jesus. Was leading the church there in Jerusalem. He stood up and said, look, it's clear from the testimony of Peter, from the testimony of Paul and Barnabas, that God has put no difference between us and them. None whatsoever. And at that point, the gospel exploded in the Gentile world. From that point on, Acts 15, there's no mention of Peter anymore. It's all a story of Paul going to the Gentiles. So what Peter has done was to found the church as a whole. What he had done is set the foundation, kept the gospel pure, and extended it to all men everywhere. A man of that character, the character of Peter, was shaped and molded as a leader to become the leader of the first church in Jerusalem. But what happened to him? Well, historians tell us that Peter continued his ministry and his wife and mother-in-law with him traveled all over. 
he continued his ministry until finally they caught up to him. And they, meaning the religious folks, like Jesus, cried crucify him. But Peter told them, he said, it's not fit that I should be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And he died. Now, with that background in mind, all the shaping and molding Jesus had done personally with Peter before his resurrection, and all the shaping and molding and teaching and learning that Peter received after the resurrection through the Spirit, he becomes uniquely qualified to write letters to us, to tell us the things we ought to focus in on, the things we need to know, the things that are important. And so the Lord willing, we're going to begin a study in First and Second Peter this next week, looking at what Peter himself has to say to all of us. Because you see, these letters he wrote are general letters. They were distributed among all believers, all saints. And they're included in the canon of the Scripture for our benefit. So the story of Peter really isn't over, even after his death. The story of Peter lives on in his letters. The wisdom that he shares with us in those letters is hard-earned throughout his life. And it bears us looking at it very closely to hear what Peter has to say to us today. We'll be doing that in the coming weeks. Today we're going to close our service with communion. So if you men who are going to serve communion, would go ahead and bring the elements out. Being the first Sunday of the month, you all realize that we always observe communion on the first Sunday. I don't know why, it's just kind of a habit, I guess. Doesn't really matter. But there's one thing we've got to do when we observe this communion. We've got to remember Jesus. That's what he told his disciples the night before he was crucified when he met with them in that upper room and he instituted this memorial meal. He said, as often as you do this, whether it's once a week, once a month, once a year, do this in remembrance of me. So what this memorial meal teaches us is what, the, what Jesus has done for each of us. The things he's done for us that we couldn't possibly do for ourselves. And there's two components to this memorial meal. There's the blood and the bread. And we're going to observe that in a way here this morning that reminds us of Jesus, so we can remember what he's done for us. Now, on a personal note, I would simply ask that each one of you take a moment, think back over your life, and remember what Jesus has done for you. You couldn't do for yourself. I know if you're like me and a lot of others, you're always wanting him to do something, right? 
When someone irritates me, I want him to rain down fire from heaven and consume them. When I'm hurting financially, I want him to let me win the lotto. There's a lot of things we want him to do for us. Some of which are legitimate requests. Most of mine are like James said, you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lust. I want him to give me what I want. Never mind what I need, but what I want. But in this exercise, I want you to remember what Jesus has done for you personally. I want you to remember the times that you've encountered Him personally and how He has provided for you, how He has protected you time and time again. Now, the longer you live, myself being an old part, I have a lot of those memories. I don't always think of them. I don't always focus in on them. But I have a bunch of those memories of how it is that God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. How He protected me time and time again. And how He's provided for me when I thought all hope was lost. So I want you just to take a moment and think of those things that Jesus has done for you. Remember Him as we celebrate this. That night, when He met with His disciples in the upper room, He took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins of many. What he was saying is this cup represents his blood as a sacrifice on his cross for us. That we may obtain the blessings of the new covenant. This is my blood in the new covenant, he said. What's that new covenant? It's what God does for you, you can't do for yourself. He said, I'm going to write my law in your hearts, and I'm going to put it in your inward part. In essence, he said, I'm going to make you behave. I know you can't do it on your own, but I will make you behave. You're going to be my people, and I'll be your God. You're not going to have need that anybody teach you about me. I'm going to have this close, personal, intimate relationship with each one of you personally. And uniquely. And finally, your sins and your iniquities, everything you've screwed up your whole life, I will remember no more. And the reason he can do that is he makes you a brand new person. Never has sinned, is not sinning now, never will. That night also he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is being broken for you. Now he's not talking about that physical body that hung on the cross. He's talking about the spiritual body, this body, and many others, countless others scattered throughout the world in which you can have fellowship one with another in Christ, in which you may experience personally the reality of the love of Christ, and you may be able to share that with one another. These two elements he blessed that constitute 
communion. Let's bless the elements. Father God, as we come in your presence right now, I thank you. I thank you for these elements, the blood and body of our Savior, Jesus. And I thank you for what you've done through him for all of us. And Lord Jesus, we remember those things today. In your honor, we celebrate this memorial meal. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you come and receive the elements, please? Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 